I'd like to tell you three stories to begin this morning. Sorry about that. Um, the first is of a, well, a young teenage girl in the mid-60s finding herself pregnant out of wedlock. And you can imagine in the mid-60s, that was more of, of a social problem, was not as socially acceptable as it is today. And so this teenage, young teenage girl finding herself pregnant, out of wedlock, socially unacceptable, not sure what she's going to do, not going to be getting married, has no means to care for this infant herself, so she gives up that infant for adoption. And a couple, an infertile couple in their early 30s, adopt that child and give him a home and a family and a mom and dad. 1991, a woman in her late 20s who has a couple of children, been married, divorced, somewhat lives a somewhat promiscuous lifestyle, and is perhaps the victim of date rape, and finds herself pregnant. She's already had two or three abortions, and miraculously, doesn't even know she's pregnant until, even though she's had two or three abortions, in her mind it's too late to have an abortion. She's unwilling to have an abortion that late stage in her pregnancy and um, gives that child up for adoption to an infertile couple. And they give him a mom and dad and a family and a home. 1993. A toddler um, who has been neglected, malnourished, and perhaps abused is about to enter into this, the government's care for children who are removed from a bad home life. And a couple adopts that toddler and gives him a family, and a mom and dad, and a home. These stories are the stories of my family. Because I am <clears throat> I'm the infant in the mid-60s. My son James is the child of 91. And my son Sandy is the child in 93. <clears throat> Needless to say, adoption is important to my family. There's 153 million orphans globally. Believe it or not, that statistic greatly underestimates the global orphan crisis. Because that number of 153 million orphans 
actually does not include orphans that live in orphanages, believe it or not. And that number of 153 million orphans globally, globally doesn't also does not include the vast number of orphans that live on the streets. That number could increase by 10 or 20 million. At, at, at least we, we simply don't know how many orphans there are around the world. It is well in advance of 153 million. But that's the number we have to start with. Just think about that. 153 million children around the world who don't have a family, who don't have a home, a mom and a dad. There are approximately 800,000 orphans in the United States. 800,000 children move through our foster care program every year. And in the United States, since 1987, there has been each year between 118 and 127,000 adoptions. So over 153 million orphans in the world 800,000 orphans in the United States, at most 127,000 adoptions each year. Even though a third of the families in the United States have seriously considered adoption, only 2% have actually done so. How are we to respond to these realities? What is our responsibility in the church? What what is the Christian thing to do? What is the godly thing to do? What is the gospel-centered thing to do? Well, this morning as we look at our sermon text, Ephesians 1, 3-5, and Romans 8.23, I believe that we're going to see that orphan care is a gospel activity and the church's responsibility. So in in case you're taking notes, in case you want to know, in case you want to be the one in your community group this week to give the proposition, (laughs) orphan care is a gospel activity and the church's responsibility. Let's look together at Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This morning as we think about adoption, God's plan from beginning to end, as we think about and explore this this main idea that orphan care is indeed a gospel activity and is the church's responsibility, we're going to look at the horizontal movement, I'm sorry, the vertical movement, this way, the vertical movement of adoption and the horizontal movement of adoption. 
And, and it shouldn't surprise us that there is a vertical and a horizontal movement, right? I mean, when it comes to love, we, we know that there is a horizontal movement, a vertical movement, and then a horizontal movement. I don't know why I want to say horizontal before vertical, but let me get this straight. Vertical comes first, okay? So the scripture teaches us that we love because God first loved us. So we, we can't even love this way. We can't even love on the horizontal if first vertically God does not love us. But because God has loved us, then we can love. And not only can we, but we should. We are commanded then to do so. Jesus said, a new command I give you. Love one another, just as I have loved you, the vertical, so also should you love one another, the horizontal. Forgiveness flows that same way. We can only forgive others because God in Christ has first forgiven us. So here's that horizontal, this vertical. <laughs> Did it again. There's this vertical before there's a horizontal. Okay, so that there's no confusion. Vertical comes first, okay? Vertical comes first. I can't get that right, but it's right. But we see in that passage in Ephesians that there's also this vertical movement of adoption. God, and here's the, his plan from the beginning, God, before the foundation of the world, before any one of us lived, God determined, willed. It was the purpose of His will, the desire of His heart to adopt us into His family as His children. And this is a glorious thing. It's an incredible thing. I want you to know from experience that adoption is an incredible thing. Being adopted is an incredible thing. Adopting is an incredible thing. I get to talk about family today because of adoption. I know from experience what an incredible thing adoption is. But yet to hear how God, before the foundation of the world, before any one of us lived, purposed in his heart, it was his will to receive us into his family, to give us a home and a family. When we were separated, when as Caleb um, indicated earlier, when we were sons or children of the enemy, God determined that in Christ he would adopt us as his children. What does that look like? What does adoption as uh, um as God's children look like? Well, it looks like the gospel. It's incredible that one of the ways that the gospel is communicated in Scripture is through this language of adoption. Um, do you know that adoption only appears in the Bible five times? And, and, and it's always in the writings of Paul. And it's always around this proclamation of the gospel. So adoption, okay, is the language that the gospel uses to talk about what it means for us to be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's very simply 
the reality that God, who is holy and perfect and righteous, has loved us and created us, yet we, mankind, have rebelled against God. We have gone our own way, we have sinned and therefore been separated from God, and we find ourselves fatherless in this world. We are separated from God without hope and without a father in this world, without a heavenly father in this world, without an eternal family. But God, because it was the purpose of his will from the very beginning, that's why Jesus would say, for this purpose I have come, this purpose of living the life that you and I should have lived, living perfectly, leaving heaven, stepping into this world, living life perfectly, living without sin, being tempted in every way as a man, yet without sin, and then freely giving up his life on the cross, suffering that kind of humiliation and that kind of death and that kind of separation from God because of our sin, mine and yours, took that all upon himself so that God's wrath might be satisfied and that the righteousness of Christ might be given to us. And this is, this is where that really active adoption comes in. Because when I was adopted, I took on my parents' family name. That was given to me. Okay? And when we adopted our son James, did you all know he was adopted? Sorry. Just... just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to this a little later in the sermon, but it is kind of funny that people say, oh, James looks just like you. Y'all know, he's, y'all know he's racially different than me, right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, but I took on my family. And then when we knew Dr. James, we gave him a name. In fact, when my parents... When my parents adopted me, I had no name. I was baby boy. And they gave me a name. And when we adopted James, he was baby boy. But we gave him a name. Now when we adopted Sandy, he was a toddler. He was 21 months old. He had a name. But we gave him our name. Our family name. And that's how he then, then that's how... As, as I was given that name, I, I entered into my parents' family. As, we, as James was given that name, he entered into our family. As Sandy was given our name, he entered into our family. And when Christ's righteousness is given to us, when it is imputed to us, we take on that name and we become, we are adopted into God's family because we, we take on the righteousness of Christ. We take on that name, and we have a heavenly Father. We have an eternal family that, frankly, will never go away. Yes, from the very beginning, God's will, purpose, and desire of his heart to is in Christ, 
adopt us into his family, for us to take on the righteous, for the righteousness of Christ to be given to us. It's not like we take it on. It's not like we grab it because <laughs> we can't do anything to get it or to keep it, but it's given. It's bestowed. And then when it's bestowed, we are a part of God's family. Okay? And, of course, that happens through the activity, the response of repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Okay? And that's what this adoption, this vertical adoption looks like from beginning. But what about to the end? Because the title of the sermon is Adoption, God's Plan from Beginning to End. And, and, and I've talked about so far from Ephesians 1 how this is God's plan from the beginning. That Christ, He would send Christ to redeem us to to, to provide, to, to adopt us into his family so that we might be sons of God, we might be children of God, that, that we might be co-heirs with Christ, that we might call Christ not only Lord but also brother. Okay, And, and Christ would refer to us as brothers in Hebrews. In Hebrews, Christ refers to us, those who are children by adoption, as his brothers. In fact, explaining why Christ came in the flesh and why he was tempted as a man and suffered as a man, it was so that he could, you know, be united with his brothers in being human. The incarnation in part is so that Christ would unite with us who are brothers, that we might be called brothers or, you know, brothers and sisters of Jesus because we are in his family. But look at Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And here's where we get to the, the we're still looking at the, uh, the vertical movement of adoption. And we've talked about adoption from beginning, but now how about adoption to end? So God's plan from beginning to end, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is adoption to the end. Because what, what is being referred to here in, in Romans 8 is the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead and our new spiritual bodies being redeemed, you know, and then being united with those and living forever in our new bodies as children of God. And this is super significant, okay? Because it doesn't affect just us. Go back to verse 19, Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Did you get that? All of creation, all of creation, not just us who are redeemed, not just us who have been adopted from the beginning, not only are we, but all of creation with eager longing 
is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. And the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Do, do you guys see the significance of our adoption ultimately, finally, physically? See, when we fell, when the human race fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned and disobeyed God, and we refer that to the fall and sin entering the world and death through sin, it wasn't just mankind that was corrupted. It's all of creation was corrupted by sin. And now all of creation is waiting for its renewal and its redemption, its restoration. All of creation is waiting for its own restoration. And that only comes at the end when we who have been adopted into God's family are finally fully glorified in that adoption with new spiritual eternal bodies. Then all of creation that was subjected to futility and was in the bondage to corruption obtains its freedom as well. Think about that. And then these, these groanings of childbirth. You know, I, I can't say that every, every natural disaster is only a groaning of this childbirth and waiting for the consummation of all things and our final adoption as children into God's family. But, but in part, <laughs> that's it. Every time the tectonic plate shift and the earthquakes, groanings, like child, pains of childbirth, awaiting, awaiting the finalization of our adoption as sons and daughters of the King of God, the Father. And hurricanes and storms and floods and in part, in part, groanings, pains of childbirth, awaiting this moment. And I need to tell you that when you finalize an adoption, that's a big deal. I don't know if you know how the adoption process works, but you adopt a child. In our case, we adopted James first, and there's adoption papers, and we sign those papers, and boom, take them home. And it's all, oh, look, a baby, you know, and, and all that, okay, and lots of rejoicing. And then, and then a period of time later, usually six months, you go back to court, and that adoption is finalized. And then that child is forever yours. We did that with both of our children, both James and Sandy. Had, we, we indicated our desire to adopt and brought those boys into our family. 
just as my parents brought me into their family. And then that time period goes by, and at that time, hey, there are kids. We're their mom and dad. But there comes a point where it is finalized, and it's official, and it's forever. Okay, and that's what adoption at the end is. It's that finalization. doesn't mean that we weren't adopted before. We were. We are. We were adopted before the foundation of the world. God's desire and the purpose of his will and his heart is to do that. But then it's finalized at the end. And it has cosmic repercussions. Because all of creation, all of creation is awaiting this moment, longing for this moment. And when it comes, it has cosmic eternal repercussions. So the vertical movement of adoption, God's adoption from the beginning, God's adoption at the end. He purposed it, accomplished it, and will accomplish it. But what about the horizontal movement of adoption? And this is where I'm talking about our response. How do we need to respond to the truth that God has adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters. And it's a glorious and miraculous thing. Well, number one, have a gospel-centered view of adoption. First, realize that the gospel uses the language of adoption. Adoption is a representation and a proclamation of the gospel. It's adoption is gospel activity. And we, and we must have a gospel-centered view of it. And let me just share a few instances in where I've encountered people who have expressed something other than a gospel-centered view of adoption. And these are just personal experiences, uh, comments that people have made to, to Judy and I over the years. I, I can remember people asking, and... I know this is a little bit weird, if you know anything about my family. Sandy is our older son. James is our younger son, but we got James first. So I'll tell that stories first. Hey, are you going to tell James that he's adopted? Okay. That's, that's, first of all, it's kind of funny. Okay. Again, the aforementioned racial difference between, I mean, you know, James is brown and Judy and I are whiter than sour cream. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's a little bit funny that anybody would ask, are you going to tell him? No, we're not. We're just going to say we were drinking. I don't know. Whatever. Drinking coffee. I don't know. Because uh, you, you notice there's a sign back there that says drinking coffee will make you black. I don't know what's back there. It's funny. Okay. All right. Nobody believes that. All right. Now, here's why I think asking, are you going to tell your, your child that they're adopted, is not a gospel-centered view. God makes it clear that we are in his family by adoption. God makes it clear. God tells us in his word, I adopted you into my family. Why would we then, when it comes to human adoption, keep that quiet, keep that secret? Here's why. Because somehow, some way, we think that children by adoption are somehow second-class children. Okay? That's not true. That's not true. That is not true. Okay? Well, it, if God doesn't hide the fact that 
we are adopted in his family, why would we hide the fact that our children are adopted in our family? Why would we do that? Because we have something other than a gospel-centered view of adoption. Because adoption is a glorious, wonderful thing. And it communicates the gospel. It represents the gospel. Why would we hide something that represents the truth of the gospel? Why would you do that? Why would we do that? Because we have a human-centered instead of gospel-centered view of adoption. Also, here's a question I've received many times. Do you know who your real parents are? Yes, they raised me. My real parents raised me. And last night, I celebrated with my real parents their 60th wedding anniversary. Okay? They're my parents. And, and like, our are, are, am I going to come up to Travis, brother in Christ? Do you know who your real God is? Like your real God. Not the God that adopts you, but your real God. Do you know who he is? Sarah, how about you? Do, do you know who your real God is? I mean, come on. No, we won't do that. Because when, when God adopts us into his family, he is our father and our God. Period. End of sentence. In fact, no room for any other God, right? For you shall have no other gods before me. Isn't that what he says? Right. So why then to the one who was adopted, do you know who your real parents are? Like somehow the parents you have now aren't your real parents. No, that, that, that represents something other than a gospel-centered view. Okay, here's another. And this was from someone in church. Came to, came to, I don't know if G heard this one or not. She'll have to tell you if she heard this one. I know I heard this one. Did you know James was black when you adopted him? That's what they asked me. Did I know? Like somehow it's wrong or it was a mistake to adopt a child who wasn't like me. Do, do you see how, how much of a, man-centered question that is and how far from being gospel-centered it is because here's the reality of God's adoption. We're nothing like Him. We are alien to God. We are as different from God as we can possibly be because we are unholy, unrighteous, sinful, imperfect, frail creatures of dust and He's the perfect, holy, righteous God of the universe who made everything. How different could we possibly be? How alien could we possibly be? But yet God adopted into His family those who were completely and entirely unlike Him. So if we're going to have a gospel-centered view of adoption, we won't ask questions like that and won't be afraid to adopt adopt children into our families who are completely unlike us. So, having a gospel-centered view of adoption, I think it starts with viewing adoption as a gospel activity, as a, as a, a display and even a proclamation of the gospel. But it also, it also impacts just the way we think about Human adoption, like the kinds of questions we ask and the kind of attitudes we have and how just to being gospel-centered about adoption means 
we think of adoption on the horizontal in the same way we think about adoption in the vertical. Those of us who have been eternally saved by Christ, we look at our adoption as sons and daughters of God as a good thing, right? As a glorious thing, as a wonderful thing, and we are grateful for it. And it is nothing less than the, the miraculous love and mercy and grace of God. Let's just think of human adoption Adoption on the horizontal the same way. But also support adoption. This is also part of the horizontal movement. Support adoption. Become a fan. Gosh, not just a fan, but, a, but an advocate for adoption. Talk about adoption in a positive way. Encourage others toward adoption. And financially support those who adopt. Along those lines, and some of you have already heard this, but I just want to make it sort of official today, if there's anyone who has not yet heard. Um, here at Redeemer Church, we value family. We value adoption. We understand that adoption is a gospel-centered activity. We understand it as gospel activity, and it is the church's responsibility. So in response to that, beginning in 2013, so... January 1, 2013, in our new budget that will be presented next week in our members' meeting, we have an adoption fund. And we've placed $1,000 in that adoption fund. And throughout 2013, from our church budget, we'll be contributing $100 a month into the adoption fund. Because here's our desire. Our desire is to someday help families at Redeemer Church that want to adopt by, by supplementing their adoption expenses by $12,000. So our, our goal is to be able to every year help a family at Redeemer Church adopt by providing $12,000 of adoption expenses. Now, think about it. <laughs> you should be getting a disconnect in your mind a little bit because... $1,000 in the beginning, $100 a month, 12000 a year given away. Those don't equal up, right? Right. So, here's where you come in. Okay? Here are the things that need to happen at Redeemer Church. First of all, everyone who's a member at Redeemer Church needs to faithfully give, faithfully tithe at least 10% of their income to their church. So that as our regular giving increases, our ability to give towards our adoption fund increases. But also, give directly to our adoption fund. So above and beyond your regular tithe, give to our adoption fund. That's easy to do, right? To check out to Redeemer Church, put in the memo line, adoption fund. Okay? And then, let's think creatively about how we can increase the giving to our adoption fund. How can we, how can you as a community group, how can you as a life transformation group, how can you as just simply a group of friends raise funds to support adoption at Redeemer Church? Number three, adopt. 
adopt. Adopt children. It's a gospel activity. Adopt children. It displays the gospel. You know, I, I threw out a bunch of statistics at the at the beginning. Well, first of all, adoption made me almost gush a little bit. So it's got to be a pretty big deal. Okay. But I gave some statistics at the beginning of the message about the numbers of um, adoptions in the United States, the number of orphans globally, the number of, of orphans in our foster care system in the United States. Remember, at maximum, 120, the, the best year since 1987 uh, uh, for number of, of adoptions in the U.S. is 127,000. Do you know that if one family from every church in the United States adopted, we would triple the number of adoptions? If one family in every church in the United States adopted, we would triple the number of adoptions. Wow, just think if two families in every church in the United States adopted, the number of adoptions in the United States would outnumber the, the orphans in the United States. There would be over a million adoptions if two families in every church in the United States adopted. But not every family is called to adopt. As big of a fan as I am of adoption, because I've been adopted, because we've adopted, not every family, not every couple is called to adopt. Now, the church is called to care for orphans and widows in their distress. The church's responsibility is to care for orphans. That is our responsibility. Okay? So how else, though, can we be involved in caring for orphans? Well, there's also foster care. Becoming foster parents. That's, that is also a way to care for orphans. But also financially support an orphan or ten. Okay, this, and this this can be accomplished a number of different ways. One is sponsorship. You've seen this every, if you've been to any Christian music concert there you, or a conference. There's usually, you know, hey, Compassion International, come and support these kids or someplace. Okay, and, and Compassion International isn't the only and probably not even the best organization out there, but there are multiple organizations where you can sponsor a child by regular monthly giving. You sponsor an orphan, okay? And so you help to take care of their physical needs by a small donation every month. Child sponsorship. Sponsor an orphan, or two, or three. Or really, okay, if you can't do it yourself, and I suppose there may be some of us who just simply can't afford the you know, 25 or 30 or whatever dollars it is a month, then go in with somebody. Then the two of you together sponsor an orphan. But orphan sponsorship is one way that we can financially support an orphan. Okay, this morning, we're, we're hopefully, you dropped something in the offering basket this morning to go to His Voice Global, right? Because we're collecting for them today and tomorrow, and next Sunday as well, okay? And if you want, you just write the check to Redeemer Church, and then the memo line, put his voice, and we'll write a check to them, okay? In case you're wondering how that could be accomplished. 
But here's the deal. $15. You know what $15 can do for an orphan? Buy all their school supplies, a uniform, and one hot meal a day for an entire year. $15. A school uniform, all their school supplies, and one hot meal a day for $15. You can, in that way, financially support an orphan. I've just given a few examples of this horizontal movement of adoption. But here's the thing that we remember. We adopt because God first adopted us. We care for orphans, for the fatherless, for the familyless, because God first cared for us. And that adoption and that care is accomplished by Christ. And just as when we love others, we represent Christ. When we forgive others, we represent Christ. We, we, we point others to Christ. When, when we care for orphans, when we adopt, when we support, we represent Christ. Just as much. No different. We display the gospel. Adoption is indeed God's plan from beginning to end. Caring for orphans is a gospel activity. And it is the church's responsibility. How is Redeemer Church going to respond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Um, God, I thank you that you've adopted us and brought us into your family. God, that is a glorious thing. And Father, I pray that the truth of our adoption into your family as sons and daughters in Christ would penetrate our hearts and minds and change our thinking about everything. But particularly today, it would change our thinking about the horizontal movement of adoption and caring for orphans. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.